as I said, we're we're gonna uh, celebrate the graduates, and and it was I was telling Garrison before church that it it was really tricky because you know the you know, I really felt God wanted us to continue in Genesis, and I thought, how in the world is this chapter? And I want you to understand this chapter that we're going to look at today and, and the beginning part of the next chapter is an uncomfortable chapter. Uh, it, there, there's going to be lots of people squirming in their seats, and, and it's okay. We're all uncomfortable together, okay? Uh, I want you to understand that it is, it is material that will make you uncomfortable a little bit, and that's okay because it it does give us a better perspective of some of Paul's letters to the new church in the New Testament. And it's a connection that uh, we, we kind of read it as, you know, people here in America, we look at it like, why is that really such a big deal? And you're going to see why today. And, and I'm avoiding throwing the word out there any more times than necessary because it's just uncomfortable. Okay. But, um, a, a quick reconnect for all of us that as we've been digging through that the we started at the beginning of Genesis where God is the God who knows when to say it's enough, the God of creation, and how he invited us into the story with him. Uh, in part two, he reminded us we're different than the rest of creation. We were made in his image. We're not subject to be ruled over by the desires within us, but we're called to master them as an act of worship towards him. Uh, and part three continued with that mastering the beast that wants more, where when you're out there trying to build and and make a name for yourself, you often start advancing your kingdom rather than God's kingdom, and that was never the plan. Uh, and then God reset creation with the flood, and he, he made a promise to us by setting his bow in the clouds that he would never destroy the earth with a flood again. And, it was, and that will come up in today's story as well. Uh, then we jump right back into a, a misplaced curse where Noah stepped into a role he was never intended to and uh, curses his grandson and his grandson's lineage. Uh, we talked about the Tower of Babel, how God had to split them up to, to keep them from accomplishing whatever they'd set their mind to because they were inevitably going to walk a path that led away from him. And then we found the treasure that's hidden in the genealogy that God uses people who are willing to do the right thing no matter what it costs them, that they care more about other people than themselves. Uh, we got to see that even that kind of person will do things that don't necessarily line up with God's will and there are consequences for that, but God will still bring them back and bless them in a mighty way. And God entered into a blood covenant with this person who is Abram or Abram. And God walked the blood path twice, showing that he would hold up both ends of the covenant because mankind never could. And then we got to see and know God as the God who sees. And, and that was the, the heartbreaking story of of Abraham and, and Sarah trying to advance God's plan on their own and Hagar getting caught in the middle of it and Hagar being 
you know, sent away, from, you know, she tried to run away from the camp and that's where God met her in her darkest, saddest moment and said, you know, I, I'm the God who sees. And she didn't even know who this God was, but she declared him to be El Roy, the God who sees. And that brings us to today, uh, part 11. It has such a, I hate putting part in there because these are all one story, but an everlasting covenant. And just brace yourselves for the, the awkward uncomfortableness of it. But at the same time, I, I hope that you're able to glean exactly what God is, is saying to us through his word today. But in Genesis chapter 17, when, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. I love when God shows up in the Old Testament. There, there's, there's never a doubt when it's God showing up in the Old Testament God appears to Abram, and then he just declares himself, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, now there's some translations that really mess up the Hebrew here. And I'm not trying to step on translators, but they, they take that word blameless and they say perfect. And it, it is a disservice to the Scripture. Okay, and you're going to see it. The, and, and the Greeks are really the ones to blame. Okay, it was all Greek to them and they mess it up. Okay, the, the Greeks looked at the, the Aramaic and the Hebrew and they mess it up. And, and they're the first ones that mess this up. And, and I won't chase this rabbit far, I promise. But we're, we're going to blame the Greeks. Okay, and, and the Greeks deserve a lot of blame. They're, they're some messed up folk, okay? Not the new, not the people now, but ancient Greece, you, the more you study it, the more messed up it is, okay? But blameless in the original Hebrew means be whole or complete. And, and oftentimes it gets translated be perfect. And, and can anybody in here be perfect? Now, now, thankfully, some people along the way, when Luther started to translate it, he went back and looked at the transcripts in the Greek and the New Testament. Everywhere it says be perfect, that word is actually the Greek word for mature. Be mature. Grow up a little bit. Okay, walk before me. Grow up a little bit. And understand that only by walking before me, walking in the statutes that I set out ahead of you, can you ever be whole or complete. And that drastically changes a lot of scripture for me. That it's not, I don't have the pressure of I have to be perfect. I have to walk before God and do my best to honor him. And know that he's the only one who can make me whole or complete. That's one verse. Are we buckled in this morning? Because we're not going to break it down verse by verse, but at points we will. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, now how did this change from where he first talked about it? I'll make you the father of a great nation. Then Abram and Sarah tried to take over the story. Guess what? God made room for their mistake. That's such a blessing to me. 
that God makes room for my mistakes. And, and he comes back and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham or Abrahim. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Where God's starting to put a lot more detail into this covenant. And, and Abram, in, in case I never mentioned it, is a name that means exalted father. Abraham or Abrahim means the father of a multitude or the father of many chiefs, depending on their translation, which is exactly who God said he's going to become. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Uh, I, I know I stole the title of the message from right here in this verse. That, that God didn't just promise his faithfulness to Abraham or to, to Abraham's sons, but he said throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And that's what's going to lead to some of the fighting in the New Testament church is because the, the covenant that God made, they, there, there were parts of the church that wanted to embrace a, the new covenant that we like to throw out there with Jesus. And there were parts of them that said, hey, we're not really ready to abolish the old covenant because God called it an everlasting covenant. So hang on, we're going to get there. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I love that God not only said, I'm going to make a covenant with you as a people, but I'm going to give you a home. And it's always going to be yours. And it's almost heartbreaking to me that God had to separate the two for them to understand but I think at times we're just like them. That, that we don't understand that our home is with him because we try and place home in things that we can touch and feel and see. And it's hard for us to see heaven. It really is. It's hard to see heaven. We, we get the description of it in Revelation, but it's hard to see. And... And God gives us that feeling of home when he surrounds us with family and, and with people in this life and possessions in this life. And he, he's never saying that those aren't good because he literally told them right here, I'm going to give you a land to possess that's going to be yours forever. Man, that's going to hurt the United Nations feelings. But anyway. All right. <clears throat> And this one, the font is getting smaller on purpose because this is the uncomfortable part of the conversation. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised of the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, 
Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with all your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And that's the moment where scripture just got awkward. Okay? I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm going to sum it up as simply as I can. The bow in the clouds was assigned to God to remember his covenant. And he wanted to make sure that he gave his people, the, the men who would be the leaders of his people, a sign of his covenant that they would carry with them everywhere they went. So he chose circumcision. And in that part of the world, there were small pockets of tribes that were practicing this, but it was not ever seen as an identity of a nation. Skipping ahead just a little bit, how, how is Pharaoh's daughter going to know that Moses is a Hebrew as a baby boy? Oh, there's a sign. Okay, as uncomfortable as that is, that entire nation would be known because they carried the mark of the covenant in their body. And again, this is, a, this is not a misogynistic expression of, of faith. This is how society worked back then. And the covenant was promised and carried through the men of the tribe or of the nation. And God said to Abraham, aren't you glad we get to move on from that really quickly? <laughs> I mean, it just, we're going to come back to it. I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, we're going to come back to it. It's not going to be fun. Everyone's going to squirm, but we're going to get everybody before the day's over because just trust me. And God said to Abram, for as Sarai, your wife shall not, you shall not call her name Sarai. But Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Isn't that such a beautiful thing God says about Abram's wife? Okay, guys in the room, I'm going to hit you because we're all guilty of this. People say nice things about your wife sometimes. Uh, and just a quick thing there Sarai we've discovered means princess Sarah means noble woman you can't you know princesses you know don't have as much clout as a true noble woman but anyway we'll go on because this is how a lot of men respond when people say really nice things about their wife Abram fell down on his face and laughed <laughs> every man in the room is trying to hide our guilt but we are guilty we, we don't always take compliments for our wife very well. <clears throat> and he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? I kind of agree with Abraham. I know enough biology to know this is a pretty funny thing God's suggesting because it's going to make you laugh or cry. 
Okay, I, I have seen that response from women who were nowhere near 90. But when you get pregnant at a point in life where you didn't think you were ever going to have a baby again, you tend to cry a little bit about it. Uh, or if you think, yeah, we're just going to have one more, and that ultrasound tech says, hey, does anybody else see that? There's two babies in here. You know, there was crying later. <laughs> lots of crying. There's still lots of crying. <clears throat> and Abram, I, I love how Abram's so comfortable in his relationship with God that he offers to help. And God never really rebukes him over it. You know, I, I think God is big enough to allow us to, to spit the foolishness out of our mouth a little bit. And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Or in Hebrew, it's Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. For Ishmael, I have heard you. That, that, that statement right there where, where God looks at, at what society will still try and throw away the illegitimate child. The, the child outside of a marriage, the, the child that, that the father is not in the picture. But God doesn't throw Ishmael away. He says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. And behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Okay, in today's society, mic drop, I'm out. I love that, that God just says, you know, this conversation's over. Okay, and he leaves it in Abram's hands. There's so many times that we try to keep the conversation going with God when God has clearly stopped talking because it's time for you to act. And this is what Abram does. Then Abram took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Now, just to help you get your brain around that, if you go back to the account where Abram took the men of his house to go fight and to free Lot from these conquering kings, there were over 300 guys in his house. And that was just the fighting age guys. This was an all-day plus event. And guys are still squirming in their seats in here. It's so great. Okay. I, I'm glad, you know, the eight-day thing, you know, that we in American medicine shorten that up right away. You know, if we're going to do that, you're, you're not going to remember the event. And, but, man, a whole household of these dudes. 
And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Just what every teenager wants. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in his house, those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. I just keep trying to imagine that conversation between Abram and Ishmael. Dad, we're going to do what? <laughs> Wait, tell me again what God said, you know, word for word. I, I, I can tell you as a 13-year-old kid, <laughs> that'd be awkward. I mean, you want to talk about awkward conversations with your dad, there it would be. Okay, we have to jump into 18 to make this story exactly what God wants for it this morning and, and what God wanted for it in Scripture. The translators separated it out because, bless their hearts, we're, East, we're Western culture, not Eastern. This is a running narrative. okay? And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Anytime you see and is a continuation of a story. And he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. And anytime you run across it in the Old Testament means shortly after the very next day or it's something you have to go look. You have to dig pretty deep in the Hebrew to find. It's not a long separation of time here. So you got to remember what just happened. Okay, he bowed his face to the ground and said, Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And I want to know what these three dudes look like that, that Abraham knew. That these guys are important. But Abraham saw them out there in the desert and said, hey, i got to take care of these people. And Abram went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three selahs, or sayahs, sorry, sayahs of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. I love the, it, it's make cakes. You know, we, we sometimes just are so simple and we say bread. No, the word says cakes. I'm a cake eater too. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them while he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Three sayahs is 25 pounds of flour. I had to do a lot of digging and a lot of math. I don't mind digging. I hate math. But any of you ladies want to make, and we'll be nice and call it cakes, out of 25 pounds of flour? I mean, this is three guys they're feeding. Maybe they were three teenagers. I don't know. But 25 pounds of flour, I look at this now in a totally different view. That you know, maybe one of the first miraculous feedings in all of Scripture takes place here in Genesis. Because asking one woman to make 
cakes or breads or whatever out of 25 pounds of flour. Wow. And that she gets it done before the barbecue's ready. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Probably taking a nap. I mean, is what I would think. She is 25 pounds of flour. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Okay, I'm not picking on wives. But wives, have you ever been known to stand by the door and listen to conversations or back in the days where you had more than one phone in the house where you could just pick it up and hear the conversation it happens okay i want you to understand she never gets rebuked for it okay guys take it easy on your wife when she on the party line and now <clears throat> abram and sarah were old and scripture pulls no punches it just calls them old. Advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Y'all can explain that to other people on the way. Uh, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And, and actually that translates to the pleasure of carrying a child. Okay, don't, don't make it crude and any more crude than it sounds. The Lord said to Abram, did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Which, do you think Abraham heard any of that conversation in Sarah's head? No. If we knew what women were thinking, that, that's why I'm really disappointed in Abram. How am I to know what, you know, King James, how doest I knoweth what thine yonder woman thinketh? You know, Abram's 99, Sarah's 90. These are not people who should even adopt children. These people probably don't want to adopt adult children. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And God never rebukes them. This whole way through, I'm looking for God gets angry. God's not angry here. He said, at this time, about at the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah, being defensive, has come around the corner at this point. You know, come around the corner. I've been accused of laughing, so I'm going to come defend myself. I did not laugh. She looks him straight in the eye and denies it. Man, this is just like raising kids, and this is a 90-year-old woman. I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God looks at her, but no, but you did laugh. And that's where the conversation ends. No, you did laugh. And then the men set out from there, and they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Okay, any of... Any of you have a habit of always walking your guest out of the house to the vehicle? Same thing right here. I love seeing real life in Scripture. That when you have people over and you're hospitable to them, you always want to see them out and see them on their way. And, 
And the three things that that we should remember and take away from this passage, this awkward passage of scripture. Is God established an eternal covenant with us through Jesus? He didn't ask us to be circumcised. He didn't ask us to, to do any, anything to our physical body to enter into that covenant. And the second thing is we're called to be generous and hospitable. The, the thing about Abraham that I didn't bring out and I'll tell you right now is if this was shortly after he was circumcised, notice the language in the text that he got up quickly. That's not going to be comfortable. He ran to go do these things. That's not going to be comfortable either. You know, he's, he's bowing down in, in a, a cultural term of respect to these visitors. He's offering to provide for their comfort. He's taking some of the very best of what he has. You know, he didn't say get the lousy flour. He said get 25 pounds of fine flour. Get a, a young calf. You know, get, get some fresh, good meat here. And, and he stands by the tree, which is what a servant would do, would stand at the place of feasting in case anything else was required. Abraham was generous. Abraham had hundreds of servants in his household that could have done those jobs. But, but what sets Abraham apart, and the reason that God chose Abraham is we talked about before how he's the guy that's going to do the right thing no matter what, but he's also a generous, generous servant-minded individual where no one that comes into his house is beneath him serving. And the last thing, and, and it's really, really kind of cool to think about is that God is close enough to hear our thoughts and he's big enough to ignore our laughing at his plan or to brush it off because I really think he just kind of brushed off Sarah when she bold boldly declared because she was afraid I didn't say that I didn't do that I didn't laugh that wasn't me and God just said it was you you did it's fine because we laugh at his plan and we don't understand, but nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. Biologically, everything that, that they knew said, that's impossible, we'll never have this kid. Biologically, and, and if we're going to put that in good church speak, in the physical it seemed impossible. But we serve the God of the impossible. We got to see it manifested in Jesus Christ when He could just command the winds and the waves to stop. When He could walk on water. After His resurrection, He continued to show that off by walking through walls and just disappearing and showing up in another place. So... Taking these three things, you know, for graduates, if I were going to tie this in as a graduation thing, never forget 
God's promises to you. Always do your best to, with, if you're blessed in abundance or you're blessed with very little, make sure that you're willing to use what you have to show other people who God is. And God is never more than your, your thought away from you. So you don't have to, you don't have to have some great gesture of prayer. You can simply take that time and make that space in your mind thinking about him and he'll fill it up with his presence. And God has plans for you that may look impossible. May look really confusing at this point. Which, which path do I take? And I'll just tell you that, you know, a lot of people like say, well, there's a, a wrong choice there. With God, nothing's impossible. It may not be the plan that makes your parents happy. It may not be the plan that you're happy with six months down the road, but guess what? God is going to be the same. And six months down the road, if God wants you to change direction, He'll help you change direction. So don't stress out over what choice you got to make right now. Don't stress out over a test. You can retake a test. And never lose sight of that God is the one who's got you on the journey. And if you're walking with Him, He's the one that will make you whole and complete and perfect. Make you exactly what He wants you to be.